Well, good morning again. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to start kind of in the beginning of the Old Testament and the entire Bible this morning as we begin a new teaching series called Crazy Faith. And here's how we want to start out this teaching series this morning by asking the simple question, what's the craziest step of faith or craziest act of obedience that you've ever taken? Now, notice I didn't say what's the craziest thing you've ever done. Some of your hard drives don't have that capacity, right? Your filing cabinet is way too big for that. But what is the craziest thing that you feel like God has called you to do and you did it? You know what I mean? We've all done that before. It may be something as simple as switching jobs. It may be something as simple as switching seats in the cafeteria or maybe as big as saying, hey, I uh, feel like God is calling me and my wife to uh, get rid of half our income and she's going to stay at home or I'm going to stay at home and stay with the kids. And that is a big step of faith. It may be to move. It may be to give for the first time. It may be to give consistently. It may, it could be anything, right? Because the reality of what crazy faith is, is something that doesn't make sense, but we do it anyway. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of faith. It's an act of acknowledging God, you're in control. God, you're big. God, you're perfect. God, you're calling me. And I am scared to death. Been there? Everybody say yes. You have, right? And so this morning, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to study the life, really not the entire life, but high points in the life of Abraham, also known as Abram. Uh, we're going to talk to him in both ways this morning, Abram as Abraham, so those are synonymous, um, and how God called him to take a big step of faith and how he strengthened him along this journey. Because I really believe as you hopefully encounter God, hopefully take that step of faith, there's gonna, you're going to need some strength and some principles and some things to follow, not only to discern what that step of faith is, but also to maintain that momentum, because that really is the key, is that when we take that step of faith, maintaining that momentum as we, as we follow Him. And I think about my own life's journey, uh, part of my testimony, many of you have heard it before, Sarah Beth and I, we had been married for less than a year, I think. Um, we were living in a dingy apartment in Waynesboro, Georgia, uh, had great jobs, both were involved in ministry. I was a full-time student minister, she was working full-time with a missions organization. God was blessing us, we were happy, we were poor, but we didn't know it because I really believe you can live on love, at least until you have children, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, things were just great, and I come home one day and I tell her, uh, you know, I feel like God is leading us to move to New Orleans to go to seminary full time. And, you know, it's that look, my wife trusts me, uh, and I never, I'm not going to do anything that she doesn't agree with at the same time, and so we both prayed about this, but it was that look of, are you out of your mind, you know? They don't even serve sweet tea in New Orleans, believe it or not. And so this is a big leap of faith for us. And so we left everything. We, uh, I'll, I'll never forget I mean, we left two good jobs, we left security, we left a great church, we left family, we left friends, we got in the U-Haul, we drove eight hours, I'll never forget driving on campus, we're driving in cars, uh, and my dad's following us in this huge U-Haul truck, and as we drive on campus, these low-hanging live oaks were across the street, as we're going to our apartment, the truck was so high that it slams into one of the live oaks, and just in front of one of our professor's houses, no doubt, and that I'm going to take for the next three years, and I'm thinking, God, is this for real? You know, we've already started out on a bad note, is this a sign, you know? So I think we all have those moments of anxiety and fear and, and trepidation when we take steps of faith, but understand me on this, is that when we decide and choose to follow God's will and take a step of faith, it never makes sense, does it? Never. Even steps of obedience that God calls out from his word, doesn't make sense. 
Why, do we, why is he asking us? Why is he calling us? Why is he telling us to do these things? I love looking at people in Scripture. We just finished a ser- series on the disciples. We're starting a series on Abraham. Then we're going to go verse by verse in Galatians starting in September. I love looking at people in Scripture because these guys, they don't pretty them up at all in Scripture. You see all of their warts, all of their issues, all of their problems, all of their shortcomings, and yet God still uses them. Abraham was no doubt one of these guys. Um, what we're going to look at this morning, Genesis eleven thirty one through Genesis twelve nine, is perhaps one of the foundational. It is not perhaps; it is one of the greatest foundational passages of Scripture in the entirety of, of, of Bible. Uh, it's a foundation for Judaism, which led to Christianity. It's a foundation for us here. And so, as we investigate this, we're going to see Abraham, um, known as Abram at this moment in, in the text, take a giant, crazy step of faith. It made no sense. But yeah, how God maintained him and how he drew strength from God as he took these steps of faith. Now, as we go through this journey over the next few weeks, here's the question I want you to ponder. It's simply this. What is God calling me to do? Because I really believe that God has steps of faith for you. God has steps of faith for me, for this church. Um, what is he calling you to do? Wrestle with that over the next few weeks, specifically this morning. But let's jump off in chapter 11, verse 31 in Genesis. So notice what happens here. Terah took his son Abram. Now let's stop there, okay? Terah is a direct descendant from Noah. And Genesis 11, 31 through 12, 9 is not necessarily chronological. In fact, as we're going to read in 12, 1 and 2 and 3, Abram gets this call to follow God, and Terah, being the patriarch of the family, leads in the wrong direction. And so we're going to understand that. You can find that in Acts chapter 7 and understand that this all happened around the same time. But notice, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran. Now understand, uh, Lot um, is, his, is Abram's nephew. He is not a good dude. We're going to learn about him in a few weeks and how he messed up. So this is a mistake. Um, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah. Now Abram and Sarah are at the ripe old age of about 75, 80 years old when God puts this call on their life. So a principle, you're never too old to follow God's will. Okay? Get this. Took his wife, Sarah, daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, what's happening is very, the context is very important at this moment. Because you need to understand that the nomadic culture that Abraham grew up in meant that they traveled from place to place, but Terah and his family, Abram being his son, found themselves in a unique situation as they had settled in this city called Ur, U-R. It's near present-day Baghdad, Iraq. And in this city, they had developed friendships. They had established their family. They developed wealth. They had developed prestige. But interestingly enough, as you, if you read to Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, interestingly enough, Abraham and his entire family, they were steeped in idolatry and pagan worship. In fact, Ur, that city, is one of the chief sites for the moon goddess Sin, S-I-N. Make sense so far? And so when God puts this call, and we're going to read this in just a second, instead of going directly to Canaan, which is due west, they go north on a trade route, and they decide to settle, not go all the way, to this place, in this place called Haran, which interestingly enough is another major site for the moon goddess Sin. Everybody with me so far? There's a lot of background right there. But what I want you to get is chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Because notice what it says here. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now stop here. Because God issues a specific command to Abram. Understand this. Abram is not following God at this moment. Abram is following 
probability-wise, the moon goddess sin, along with his father and the rest of his family. It's something that's entrenched inside of them. But there's an encounter with God that he has that is so profound that he abandons that at that moment, comes to the supper table with his 200-year-old father sitting there, his wife Sarah, and they couldn't have children, their grandson Lot, who has some demons, and says this, God just spoke to me, we're moving. Now this is a big deal, because notice what God's calling him to leave behind. Leave your home, leave your family, and leave your city. And to leave something in that day and age is not like when I moved to New Orleans, I could still drive eight hours and have my mom's apple pie and sweet tea, right? When they moved, they're not coming back. It took weeks, if not months, to get to where they were going, and it was a dangerous journey. So when you settled somewhere, you settled there, right? And they had been there for generations. They had been there, and they had found their place. They knew the shortcut to Walmart. They understood who to borrow sugar from and which neighbor to avoid. They got what it meant to have close relationship. They were in a mess family. They had each other's back. They had a perspective of the culture. They had their religion. They had their wealth. Everything was, get this, completely comfortable. Now, here's the question. Have you ever been completely comfortable? Oh, it's easy for me to get comfortable. Whether it's a lazy boy (laughs) or whether, spiritually speaking, it's easy to get comfortable. And I can't imagine the anxiety and the fear that Abraham must experience in that moment. Because he had this encounter with God. And don't overlook that. Because I want you to understand, that encounter he had with God is not unlike yours. Sure, God doesn't show himself or manifest himself physically to us, not until we experience Jesus. But the fact that you've asked Christ to come into your life, if you are a believer here today, means you get to experience those same types of calling, steps of obedience, and yes, crazy faith moments that Abraham got to experience. This is profound for you, profound for me, profound for the churches worldwide. Because this step of faith impacts us today. But with every step of faith that we're called to take, there's some strength and reliance we have to draw upon in order to follow God in those moments. Because what tends to happen is that when you initially take that step of faith, while it's crazy, there's some momentum there. But then you get down in the valley, you get down to where it's drudgery, you get down to where it's difficult, and you begin to question yourself, God, are you sure? Sarah Beth and I were were sitting in our bedroom in January after we moved to New Orleans, and the windows were open because it was hot, and that was problematic for me because I like cool weather. And as we heard the drive-by shooting go by our door, we thought, God, are you sure? (laughs) I grew up on a farm, Lord. (laughs) You know, this was weird. This was different. And so how do we take those steps of faith out of our comfort zone? And the easy answer, this is your first principle, and this is the big idea of this whole message, is one step at a time. It's one step at a time. God is calling, I believe, every person in this room to do something. Something you're uncomfortable with. Something to take a crazy step of faith. And the only way you take it is one step at a time. But there's more to the story of Abraham and Sarah that we need to glean off of in these few minutes we have together this morning that I think gives us some principles to go by. So let's understand some things that are happening. Let's go back to 
11.31. Genesis 11.31. Notice what it says. Terah took his son Abram, the grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah and the wife of his son Abram. They didn't go immediately to Canaan. They went north to Ur. There's some issues there. There's halfway obedience. They decided to move, but they didn't move west. They went north. It was a generalized trade route. So they got to Ur, and they found out they're comfortable there. Maybe it's Lot. Maybe he had some friends there, and they decided, let's just settle here. Maybe Terah, his father, gets sick, and they need to sit there for a while. Maybe they're engrossed and entrenched, and they backslide into their old idolatry. I don't know why, but I want you to notice what happens here. But when they came to Haran at the very end of verse 31, they what? Settled there. Now notice what happens next. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now skip down to verse 4. So Abram went. Now, here's our first principle that we need to understand this morning. And this is something that Abram struggled with, that later on Abraham had to work through, and that every Christian has to deal with. And it's simply this. Obedience is not complicated, but it can be difficult. It is not complicated to understand what God wants you to do. When God said, thou shalt not lie, that's pretty cut and dry. Would you all agree? But yet, when we're looking at the IRS form... Let's be real. (laughs) It's difficult. Obedience is never complicated. Never. In fact, I I, I dare say it's not complicated to know exactly what God wants you to do. What's difficult is taking that step of faith to do it because all the what-ifs begin to come to mind, right? All the issues begin to come to mind. All the problems, all the things that, hey, I've got to pack up my family. I've got to approach my dad and say, Dad, I know you're 200, but we're moving. Charge the wheelchair, you know, whatever it may be. It's those moments, it's those moments that we say, God, this seems impossible, but we know exactly what we're supposed to do. Obedience is never complicated, ever. We make it complicated, right? We make it difficult. Abram's difficulty was the fact that he didn't worship God his whole life. Abram's difficulty was he had a wife that had not yet had a son, and they were 75, 80 years old, and there's no heir. Abram's difficulty was that Lot, his nephew, was looking forward to being the person that inherited all his wealth. Abram's difficulty was all the rumors he'd heard about those in Canaan. They were wicked. They were idolaters. They were people that would kill you. Abram's difficulty was this is a long journey, and this is going to be hard, Lord. You are going to take me out of my comfort zone, and what if it were? then i got to stay there. You you and I can rationalize these steps of obedience over and over again. But the reality is, obedience is never complicated, is it? I'll never forget, you know, our church will be uh, nine years old this September. Isn't that cool? And we've come a long way in nine years. Um, But we stayed in the YMCA for six of those years. And I'll never forget just sitting down and we're looking for a place to buy and to, uh, at that point, lease purchase. <coughs> this building came available, and we began to draw out on paper and write things down about buying this facility versus staying at the Y. The YMCA were wonderful people, and everybody should be a member there because they let us be there for rent-free for six years. That's a plug. And so they let us stay there for six years for free, but then we've got to go over here and come up with money we don't have. Our God, are you out of your mind? You want us to grow our budget by a third overnight. But it was very clear, this is what God wanted us to do. And I cringe to think that if what if we'd have stayed there, right? 
So much has happened. We've baptized over 130 people in this building since we've been here. I don't know if that would have happened if we'd have stayed here a little while. God has grown us spiritually, numerically, financially, even with a paved, half-paved parking lot. God continues to work. But here's what's interesting. It was difficult to move, but it wasn't complicated. It was very clear. And I think about my own life and the journey that steps of faith God's called me to take and when I didn't take those steps of faith, or maybe I went halfway like Abram first did, it was almost like I was holding back God's blessing in some of those arenas. Obedience is never complicated. But here's the question I want to finish at as we transition to the next point. Notice what happens here. Go to the very part, the very end of verse 31 in chapter 11. We're going to throw this on the screen. Notice what it says. But when they came to Haran, what did they do? They settled there. Question. Where are you settling? Let's just be real honest with each other for a minute. I, I'm willing to bet God has something for you. God is calling you to do something. Take a step of faith out of fear. Take a step of faith out of financial stability. Take a step of faith um, away from things you're used to. Take a step of faith and do something totally abnormal for you. Um, but the problem is we've decided to settle in the same old city, just a different name, right? Where are we settling? We miss God when we decide to settle. Y'all hear, write that down. We miss him. Where are we settling? Interestingly enough, as Abraham takes this amazing journey, God gives him something to move forward. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, interestingly enough, he didn't say Canaan. He said, I'm going to show you. Just take that step of faith. Verse 2, I will make you, a great, make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, when we read in Scripture the promises God makes, many times, specifically in the Old Testament, it's all based upon condition. If you do this, I will bless you. If you maintain this, I will bless you. But... When God makes a promise to Abraham, it's not based upon condition. Do you see that? You go do this, and I promise I will bless you. This is the same blessing that the Christian carries. The beauty of the gospel is that when you ask Christ to come into your life, the blessing is not based upon your actions, attitudes, or church attendance. It's based upon the merit of Christ and what he has done. If he has died and risen from the dead and you know him, like Ken and Ludwin demonstrated this morning, they've accepted that into their life. Here's what's so fascinating about that. That is never lost in our own depravity and shortcomings. It's always held secure by Jesus and what he has provided for us through his death and resurrection. Isn't that awesome? It's not conditional. And neither is this promise with Abraham. And so when you take a step of faith and you have that journey in front of you, it is a long journey you're being asked to do some things you typically wouldn't want to do. Here's how we maintain that journey. And this is what's so fascinating about Abraham over and over in his life. We'll see this through the course of this series. Is that God's promises always defined and directed him. Now get that. God's promise. The promise that he lays out in verses 2 and 3. Always directed his pathway and defined who he was. And the principle we draw on that is that as we move forward in these crazy steps of faith, sometimes the only 
the only thing we have is God's promise. The only thing we can go back toward is God's promises that define us and direct us. And the promises that Christ gives is I will never leave you or forsake you. The promise that Christ gives is that I will be there for you. The promise that Christ gives is I'm going to come back one day and rescue you. The promise that Christ gives is that if you know me, heaven waits. Does his promise define us? Does his promise promise direct us? So fascinating for us to deal with this. Promises make up so much of our lives, uh, both kept and unkept. Would you all agree on that? It's the promise of marriage. Uh, till death do you what? Part. And then somebody betrays that promise. It's the promise to a child. I promise if you go to bed, I will give you $100. I promised a million before, <laughs> you know. And then you don't follow through. It's the promise at work that it's going to be a great environment to work in. And it ends up not being. It's the promise. It's the promise. And sometimes those promises are kept. And sometimes those promises are broken. But what's so fascinating about the gospel and what's so true about scripture is that in every promise that God made, he fulfilled. Every promise that Christ gives, he's fulfilled or fulfilling. Does his promises direct and define us? So important that we get that. Because as Abraham went on this journey, he took that first step. I want you to notice something, man. In verse 4, Abraham went. And as he went on this journey, he's walking in areas he's never been to people he don't even know their language. This is a big deal for him. This is a big deal. Because here's the deal. God may have called you. I'm just going to take some of you guys. I know some, a lot of our ladies in here are single moms. Not single moms. We have a lot of single moms, but we also have a lot of moms who stay at home. And God said, was very clear to you, you're supposed to stay at home. Sarah Beth and I felt like the Lord directed us to do that until our kids were in pre-K. And there were sometimes I'd come home and there would be an eight-month-old and a three-year-old and one's dancing on the table, the other one's making a potion in the toilet, I don't know. And my wife is like, is that my wife? She's physically there. And so, and it's that promise of God told me to do this, this is what I'm going to do. But man, this absolutely stinks, right? Sometimes the crazy faith journey means it's not easy, but it is difficult. But we always go back to the promise. We always go back to the promise. But that leads us to the next step, because I want you to see what happens next, because this fascinates me in these next verses, starting in verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, which is a mistake. And we're going to see that in a few weeks. This guy totally messed up. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Don't go past those three words. Because here's the deal. Can you imagine all the weeks of preparation, all the years of preparation, everything you left behind? His father had passed away. He has no patriarch. He is now the patriarch. Lot, his rebellious nephew, who's just, just bite, chomping at the bit to inherit everything that his uncle has for him. All that's happening in those moments and all that preparation. And they step into the land of Canaan and they've arrived. This past week, uh, I went to Walmart, which is a crazy step of faith for me. Uh, and if you ever want to take your life into your own hands, challenge a, a, a parent trying to buy school supplies the week before school in Walmart. Uh, you may die. And, uh, and so as I walked into Walmart, y'all know what I'm talking about. They have aisles upon aisles upon aisles of back-to-school supplies, right? And I'm looking at that, and on the other aisle, there was a sign that says, back to college. And so 
I, I was looking down that aisle, and all these memories came to mind about when I left for college, and my mom, you know, taking the buggy in Walmart, and, and so we're going through there, and she goes, do you need towels? I'm like, probably. Do you need a cup or something? Yeah. Do you need silverware? I don't know. And then, do you need a vacuum? Definitely not. You know, <laughs> not going to vacuum, Mom. Need a toilet brush? Nope. Not going to wash. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to. My mom would visit me from when I was in college and would refuse to sit down on the couch. And I don't blame her. Uh, it was just nasty. And so I thought about that. And I thought about all the weeks and months of preparation, the years of saving money, all these things, and packing up my little GMC Sonoma, driving about Austin State University, sitting down in Reed dorm, and being by myself and the, the, the reality the momentous moment for me of all this preparation, I had arrived and everything just sunk in. You know what I'm talking about? We, we, everybody's done this. Maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe it was on a bus ride to basic training. And you get halfway there and you're like, they're for real. <laughs> Mama can't help me, <laughs> you know. Or maybe it's to move out for the first time. Or maybe you got married. Or, or, or maybe you were kicked out. I don't know. But everything that you prepared for that moment, you know, Abraham met with his family. They had a meeting. Abraham met with uh, his friends and said goodbye. Abraham packed all his clothes, packed all of his uh, possessions. He got his caravan and, and headed out. And then they arrived. I cannot imagine the fear in that moment. He can't turn to his dad for advice. Dad's dead. He can't go and borrow some sugar from the guy next door. He's an Ur. He's not worshiping the sin God anymore. He's worshiping the living God that you and I know. And now he's sitting in this place called Canaan, filled with Canaanites who are wicked and idolaters. He doesn't even understand what, he's, what they're saying. And he's arrived. Notice the next verse. I love this. Verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, there's so much here in this verse. But I want you to get this great tree of Moriah. Many times in, in the Canaanite culture, um, and Shechem being about 50 miles north of present-day Jerusalem, if there was a great tree, the Canaanites looked at that as a blessing of fertility. So they would set up sites of worship for their idolatry and pagan religions and ask their gods to bless them and their offspring, and they'd be fertile and have people that would inherit their possessions and possess the land. And so you've got to imagine Abraham, him and his wife, Sarah, they're 75, 80 years old. They've never had children. They're looking at their lot, uh, looking at their nephew Lot, who uh, probably they're a bit disappointed in. Like I said, we'll see that in a few weeks. And as they roll in and they're standing under this tree, the reality that they can't have kids just sets in. The reality that they're surrounded by all these idolaters who can't understand them and they're looking at them in weird ways and may kill them at any moment just sets in. They've arrived. This is where it gets rough. This is where the journey of faith gets difficult. This is where we stay up all night thinking, God, what if, right? This is where, Lord, you've told me to do this, and it's not making sense. I've done it, and it's hard. And I want you to notice what happens next. Not only does God reassure Abraham with his promises, but Abram does something very unique here. Look at this end of this verse. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram. To your offspring I will give this land. Interesting how he says, to your offspring I'll give this land under an idolatrous site that they beg for fertility. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. 
Then from there, he went on to the hills of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And here's the principle here. Steps of faith, crazy steps of faith have to be nurtured. We have to go back to God's promises and his word. Listen to me, if your spiritual tank only gets filled up in our hour together of worship, it will be depleted by Monday morning at 9.30, correct? When you take a step of obedience to do the right thing or you take a step of faith to follow God and his will, you had better be nurturing your faith. You had better find time to get in his word. Uversion.com, Bible.com, find a reading plan. You better start praying. You better start hanging out with other believers to draw strength because it's in these moments when you walk through a foreign land, you're going to need to draw upon something other than just your Sunday experience. You have to have more. Or it will deplete that tank so quickly and you will find yourself questioning your faith, wondering if I should go forward and even giving up. Abram did something so fascinating is that in the middle of these Canaanite pagans under their place of worship, he built an altar and says, God, I believe your promise. He marched forward, built another altar and said, God, I believe your promise. Do you nurture your faith outside of right now? Please nurture it. If, there, if, if my ministry lasts another week, or another 50 years, my prayer for my church is that I get to pastor and the people that I get to minister to is this, is that you understand the importance of spending time alone with Jesus. That is so important. You will forget my sermon about 30 minutes. But your time alone with Jesus is powerful, guys. Nurture your faith. One of my mentors was my first pastor um, named Al Wright, and his wife, they diagnosed her with a brain tumor. And so as uh, the hospital, they took her to the hospital, and they were having surgery. It ended up being benign. It was a wonderful thing. But sitting in that waiting room for five, six, seven, eight hours, waiting on the doctors to perform the surgery, it was an anxious time, a scary time, uh, but also a time of prayer. I may have told you a story before. When the surgery started, Al, being a devout, godly man whom I respect, went to the chapel and spent an hour just praying, God, heal my wife. God, heal my wife. I would have too, wouldn't y'all? Just God, I've spent a lot of times in chapels praying God to do something. Praying God, heal my wife. And after an hour of praying, he leaves and he says, before I got to the elevator, it was like a soft whisper spoke to me. God said, now you've asked me, come back to this chapel and worship me. For the next hour, he spent worshiping God, telling how good he is. Why would God do that? Why would Al do that? Because here, during, here's why. Because in the midst of difficult situations and crazy steps of faith, if you're not worshiping, you're wandering. Right? If you're not honoring, you're not growing. If you're not tapping in, you're tapping out. You can ask God. We're good at that, right? God, please don't let the state patrol see me. You know, that kind of stuff. But when we're not nurturing our faith, our faith journey begins to all derail. Nurture your faith. There's one other aspect we need to gather up here, and you're going to have to go back to verse 3 to get this because this is a poignant moment in history. It's a poignant moment for you personally. God called Abram, told him to leave, and he tells him he's going to bless him. In verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation. That's the Jewish people. That's Israel. 
And I said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. He blessed other people. And his name became great. We're talking about him in 2016, right? God used him in profound ways. And he says, I will bless those that bless you. So the promise is, is when people come to you and they bless you, they will be a blessing. But when they curse you or go against you, I'm going to go against them. That's what establishes Abraham. God's hand was in him. But notice at the end of verse 3. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's very unique. Abraham is the patriarch of Judaism, but also Christianity. Because when God makes this promise, I'm going to establish you as a nation. I'm going to bless you and your family. I'm going to bless you as you establish this nation so that I can bless all nations. All nations can only be blessed when there is a Messiah that comes and says, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, I'm here to save you. And when you take Jesus and you, pack, you track his lineages, it goes all the way back to Abraham. God's plan in this entire text was not for Abraham's blessing. It was for your salvation. Isn't that cool? God's plan was that from Abraham, Judaism would be started. And through Judaism, in the Jewish culture, God would give them laws. And they would see that they can't measure up and they're in need of someone to save them. And so from the Jewish people, as God promised in the Old Testament, he brings Christ. Christ dies on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve because we fall incredibly short. We can't be perfect, right? Then he rises from the dead to conquer sin and to conquer death so that you and I might live forever with him. From verse 3, we find an incredible principle. Is It wasn't about Abraham. It really even wasn't about us. It was about Jesus. And understand this, your difficult steps of faith have a purpose or have purposes that we don't realize. Get that. Some of you have taken crazy steps of faith. And it's been difficult. And if you're like me, you're asking God, why? Y'all been there? Are you questioning even if you did it the right the first time? Or maybe you get to the end of this journey, right? And you realize, this is not what I imagined. This is not what I dreamed of. This is not what I planned for. But understand, a step of faith has a purpose that God has for you that is bigger than you realize. It's bigger than you realize. If you're a dad out there, and you're struggling to demonstrate Jesus to your family because you don't feel like you're equipped, you don't feel like you're adequate, you don't feel like you're enough, and you've got too many sins in your life, and your children have seen that, and you're just really hesitant to step out there and demonstrate Christ, understand me, in your step of obedience, the ramifications of you stepping out on faith has generational impact. Things that you don't know because one day you may have a great-grandson who comes to Christ and leads the nation to Jesus. You have no idea. All it begins with you taking that simple step of faith. You may have a calling on your life to switch jobs, even though you're comfortable, and even though this other job makes less money, and you're thinking, there's no way I can make ends meet by taking this job. You have no idea how profound an impact that you can make. It may be worldwide. You have no idea. The difficult steps of faith have God's purposes in them, and we don't realize it all. Abraham had no idea that through him, and his barren wife, God was going to bring about Jesus so that you and I sitting in Winder, Georgia, in River Hills Church can worship him and know him today. You get that? It is so poignant, so profound. So, so don't begrudge those difficult steps. Don't begrudge the crazy faith. Don't begrudge the fact that when you get to the end of what you think is the completion, it's not how you thought it would turn out. God has a bigger purpose. 
So how do we deal with this? Because I believe you have a crazy step of faith. Like I have a crazy step of faith. I don't know what that is for you, and I'm not even sure what it is for me. But it all comes down to choices. And when we have those choices before us, we be, our mind begins to race, and we start to rationalize it. Y'all with me on that? It's irrational. I'm going to rationalize it. What if? What if? What if? Or how? 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 Or this doesn't make sense. Or I'm just going to turn my radio up or turn my TV up. It makes, you know, drowned out God here. You know? We've all been there. I want to leave you with this this morning, and we're going to go straight back to Genesis chapter 12 because this gives us an incredible metaphor of how this turns out for us. Go to verse 8. After Abraham left that huge tree in Shechem, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Some, some scholars and archaeologists believe that this is present-day Jerusalem. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Some people believe that this was the altar site of where the Holy of Holies rested in the temple that Solomon built and the Jewish people worshipped forever and still want to worship today. Not sure. Kind of irrelevant, but I thought it would be neat if you are on Jeopardy. But I want you to get what happens here. Go back to verse 8. From there he went on to, toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. This is what's important and this is my point this morning. Everything in Hebrew culture that has a name has a reason. Abram's name is God is called. God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. There's a reason. Bethel, Beth-el, E-L, E-L always stands for God in Hebrew, right? Bethel means house of God. Abraham found himself between Bethel, the house of God, Ai, which literally means heap of ruins, or maybe, let's just redneck it down, dumpster, dumpster fire, okay? And so as he's standing here, there's a choice he's got to make. I can be obedient and experience God's blessing. I can experience God's Bethel. Or I can do nothing, which is the same as disobedience, and find my blessing in a heap of ruins. Guys, are we going to be believers that pursue Bethel or followers that pursue Ai? choice is ours, isn't it? So what's your choice? What's your crazy step of faith? For some of you this morning, the crazy step of faith is to ask Jesus to come into your life. It makes no sense. But you realize that as you open up God's word, as you hear what I'm saying, as you've heard others say, and you know, and know people that are praying for you even right now, know that Christ loves you and has a profound plan for you. But in order to have a right relationship with him, you have to ask him to come into your life. It's as simple as A, B, and C. Admit you're separated from God because of the bad things you do. B, believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve and then rose from the dead. And C, confess him. Ask him to come in your life. If you've never taken that step of faith, that's your first one. For others of you in this room, you need to take a step of faith in baptism. For others, if you're a believer here, you need to take a step of faith. You've been stagnant long enough. You sat on the ruins of Ai for years and nothing has happened let's head to Bethel let's experience God on the back of your connect card there's a couple of boxes at the very top and one says today I want Jesus in my life if that's you this morning check that box if you've never asked Christ to come into your life if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian the next box says I have some questions check that one if you want to be baptized check that box but if you're here today and you're a believer um, and you haven't taken your crazy step of faith and you know you should, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
Write down what that crazy step of faith is in the prayer request card. Put your name on it, because I'm going to be praying for you by name this week, okay? I promise you on that. I want us to be a group of believers who are willing to do the, the nonsense, right? The irrational, the step of faith, because I believe a God is big enough. Nurture that faith. Cling to his promises. Understand it's not complicated, and there's a bigger purpose than you realize. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Ask God that you would empower us to take that step of faith. Ask God that you would strengthen us and move in us to, move, to, to seek you, to know you, and to be irrational when it comes to following you. That you would become the main thing, that your promises would define us, that your promises would direct us, and that we would follow you all the days of our life. God, strengthen us to do the things that you've called us to do. God, there are some here today that don't know you. Empower them right now to fill out that card. God, there's some that need to be baptized. Strengthen them to take that step of faith. And all of us here, God, are called to take some, some huge step of faith that doesn't make sense. Strengthen us to do that. Guide us, God. Allow us to be a church that's willing to take a step of faith that doesn't make sense. You are bigger than what we imagine. You are better than we deserve. And through Christ, we get to experience the blessing. And I find it so awesome that Abraham, so many years ago, was willing to see the world blessed through Jesus. And thank you, God, for that step of faith he took. Lord, we love you and honor you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.